Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. All right, we're going to continue today in Acts chapter 4. If you want to turn there in your Bibles. And in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now, uh, so, so they're, you know, they're preaching here in the temple, and you see the authorities get concerned about it, and especially the Sadducees. Because, remember, Peter had, had preached that Christ was risen from the dead, and the Sadducees didn't believe in any resurrection of the dead, uh, much less that, that Jesus had risen from the dead. So the Sadducees, their, their main issue, the thing they're most concerned about, is that these people are preaching in the temple, they're preaching resurrection from the dead, and the people seem to be listening to them. And the Sadducees fear that this is going to, to damage the power of their Group. And so you see it says that they're grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And it says that they laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now eventide. Now remember, all of this was happening in the, in the end of the day or in the late afternoon. Uh, they went, Peter and, and John went to the temple at the hour of prayer, and it says it was the, the uh, ninth hour, I think it was. Yeah, the ninth hour back in chapter 3, verse 1. And so they're there in the late afternoon, and they don't have they don't have time to deal with uh, this issue that night. So they put them into into jail. When when it says they they uh, put them in hold, uh, it means they've got them in some secure place, and they're going to decide what to do with them the next day. But notice verse four. It says, "Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about five thousand." Now. Back in chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, it talks about there being 3,000, right? So there were 3,000 there. If you look back at chapter 2, verse 41, it says, Then they that gladly received this word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So you had 3,000 there on the day of Pentecost. Here at uh, this time in the temple, you have about five, it says 5,000 men there that, that uh, believe. Now, in verse 5, it says, It came to pass on the morrow, chapter 4, now verse 5, It came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. Now, here it mentions Annas the high priest and it mentions Caiaphas. All right? Now, those two names, um, if you've, you know, if you've read and studied the passages around the, the crucifixion of Christ, those two names come up a lot. Uh, both of them are described as being high priests. You know, uh, originally, when God gave the law and he told about, about how the high priests were be, to be uh, determined, it was, they were, it, it was a hereditary type thing, okay? If you were next in line to be the high priest, you would you would become that high priest, and you serve until death. Remember how a couple of weeks ago when we looked at those things about the city of refuge, 
Uh, you would stay there in the city of refuge until the death of the high priest. But Israel hadn't, hadn't followed that. And in fact, by the, by the time you get to this point, um, the, the high priest, they served, they served terms. Sometimes they might serve for a long time. They might serve for a short time. But um, they, were, they were appointed. Uh, in fact, Pontius Pilate, uh, who was the Roman governor, he was one of those that had authority to appoint the high priest. All right? And so they were not following a, a, biblical, uh, a biblical kind of kind of way of doing things with regard to the high priest. Here it describes Annas as being the high priest and, and Caiaphas. And the, uh, the two of them are, are related as well. You see it mentions the kindred of the high priest there in, in verse 6. And they're gathered together there at Jerusalem. And they are going to, to render judgment here regarding Peter and John. Verse 7 says, When they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have ye done this? Now, if there's anything that, that uh, is really the focus in these passages here in chapter 3 and chapter 4, it's the name of Jesus Christ. It was in the name of Jesus Christ that Peter told the lame man to stand up and walk. And he keeps talking about the name of Jesus Christ. And you see, what they want to know is, whose name are you doing these things in? You see, they want to know uh, who gave you the power and the authority to come here into the temple, which is where these men would claim the power and the authority. Who gave you the authority to come here into the temple and not not just to heal this man, but then to preach uh, in the temple? And you see what Peter's answer is. Verse 8, it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. And you see here, he, he addresses now, when they were, first of all, in the temple, they were addressing the people. And on the day of Pentecost, they were addressing the people. Now Peter is addressing the rulers of the people, these high priests, these, these rulers there that are examining him. Uh, notice it says in verse 8 that Peter was filled with the Holy Ghost. And uh, same with, with uh, all of these messages here. Uh, in early Acts, he's filled with the Holy Ghost. And remember that Christ had told the disciples that they were going to be brought before kings and authorities. And he told them not to give any thought beforehand to what they were going to say, but that God would give them, the Holy Spirit would give them the things to say. And that's what you see here as they're, as they're essentially standing trial before these priests and, and uh, leaders of the people. Um, Peter's filled with the Holy Ghost. And so these aren't just Peter's words, right? These, this is God's word, God speaking through the Apostle Peter. And Peter, you know, the, there's a question there of even what, what they're really accused of, right? You see, Peter says in, in verse 9, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man. 
And Peter's words here really are, are uh, in some ways reminiscent of how the Lord Jesus Christ would respond when he would be confronted about healings and things. You, you remember when he healed on the Sabbath day and then he and, and the, uh, the scribes and the Pharisees were upset about that and Christ questioned them whether it was lawful to do good on the Sabbath day. Uh, you know, Peter here, when, he, when he, he doesn't really ask a question, but when he says it in that way, if we this day be examined of the good deed, he, he's really in a way implying the question, what is it that you're accusing us of? Are you accusing us of, of taking a lame man and now he can walk? Is that a, is that a crime? Is that some, you know, some wrong evil deed to do here in the temple? Uh, it's a good deed to give alms to that man who sits there at the gate, but it's, there's something wrong with causing him to rise up and walk. Right? So Peter says, if, if that's what we're being examined of, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. You notice that Peter does not, he doesn't, he doesn't defend himself there on his own authority. He doesn't claim that he doesn't need any authority to do what he's doing, but rather he claims to be doing these things in the name and in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, that, that ought to be our attitude as well. Uh, you know, there are often times when people will even, even preach the word of God, not, not in the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, but just in their own authority. In fact, that's what the Pharisees had done, see, is they had set themselves up as an authority even above the word of God, where they had gone way beyond the word of God in, in uh, adding all kinds of things. Um, and, and there are many people who even will share the gospel, and yet they're not doing it really like, like Peter would be here with that kind of authority from Christ. You know, Peter in, in his epistle says, if any man speak, talking about believers speaking the, the things of the word of God, he says, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God, right? If, if you're going to speak the word of God, do it with the, with the authority, really, of, of Christ, as if you're speaking the word of God, because you are. And, uh, you know, far too often we, we become very timid about the Word of God. We, we become, you know, some, somewhat, maybe not to the extent of being ashamed, but again, often kind of hesitant, kind of timid about the things of God's Word. But realize that as a believer, you don't have to be a, a you know, an ordained pastor or, or something like that. As a believer, you have authority from Christ to speak the Word of God, and, and you ought to exercise that authority. Uh, here, again, Peter, Peter you know, wants to make it clear he's not doing anything by his own authority. He, back when he was talking to the, the people the day before, remember, just look back to remind yourself, go back to uh, chapter 3, verse 12. He says, uh, it says, when Peter saw it, he saw the people were coming together. When Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? To walk? The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up. And he, he talks about them uh, denying Christ. And you skip down to verse 16. His name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong. Whom ye see and know, yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Peter is very clear. He's not trying to take any glory for himself. 
Peter wants to be clear that it's not any power of his to do this deed, but it's the power of Christ, it's the power of God. And he uses the opportunity to make the same point that, that it's the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. Even though Israel had killed him, even though they had put him to death, God had raised him from the dead. And if God can raise him from the dead, God can make a, a lame man to walk. Um, and, and so Peter's very clear about that. Uh, you know, so, so when it comes to the word of God, there, again, there are often times where people kind of, kind of go off on their own authority. Uh, and they'll, they'll, you know, if you question somebody about something they've taught or, or something like that, rather than going back to the Word of God, uh, there are many people just sort of have the attitude of it's, it's right because I said so. And things aren't right because I say so or you say so. Uh, things are right because the Word of God says so. All right? Uh, on the other hand, there, there are also people who, like I say, are very timid. Uh, you know, that, that kind of attitude is going beyond the Word of God. There are people who are very timid about the Word of God and do it a disservice. Uh, again, like Peter says, if you're going to speak, if you're going to speak the things of God's Word, they ought to be spoken with authority. Uh, one of the things that, that the scribes and Pharisees noticed about the Lord Jesus Christ was the way that he spoke with authority. They, they say he doesn't, and the people noticed it as well. That he doesn't speak like one of the scribes. You know, the scribes um, would, would uh, speak in a certain way, but Christ spoke as somebody who had authority, and that authority has been, has been delivered to believers. And so when we speak the things of the Word of God, we ought to do them as if we are speaking the Word of God, because that's what it is. You see, as Peter stands here, and, and this... You know, the, the uh, attitude that Peter has as he stands here before these rulers um, isn't, isn't lost on them. They, we'll see a little bit later on. They, they recognize that. But, uh, you know, here, here's Peter who just, you know, a few weeks before this had denied the Lord Jesus Christ, denied that he even knew him. Here he is bet- before some of the highest men in Israel. And you see this, this testimony that he bears before them. And you see that, that influence of the Holy Spirit there. You know, when Peter denied the Lord, he didn't have the Holy Spirit yet, but now he does. And he stands there before them, and, and uh, he, again, the kind of the common thing to all of these messages here, you notice he tells them in, in verse 10, uh, again, he says, Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel. There again is that, that focus on Israel. Things aren't going out to the Gentiles yet here at this point. Um, and you see what he says, uh, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified. Now, Peter, Peter turns the tables on them. Here they are accusing him of something. And he says, you're the ones who crucified the Lord. You're the ones who, who crucified. He calls him here, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And you know that term Christ, we, we maybe kind of skip over it in our thinking um, because because we think of Jesus as you know Jesus Christ the Lord Jesus Christ, but but realize that the term Christ is Messiah, and here these these uh, leaders of Israel now they didn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah, but here when Peter says that that it's by the name of Jesus Christ Jesus the Messiah of Nazareth. Uh, he says, whom ye crucified. And he once again is accusing them of crucifying the Messiah, the Messiah that they've been waiting for. Now, 
remember that back in the previous chapter, he presented how there was, there was a, he said even the, the rulers did it through ignorance, and how there was a, a way to escape and a way to take refuge through faith in Christ. Okay? And, and here, um, he, again, he, he places that accusation upon them. He says, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand here before you whole. Um, in verse 11, Peter is quoting from an Old Testament passage. Uh, he says, This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. Now, he's quoting from Psalm 118. Let's turn back there. Psalm 118, verse 19. It says, Open to me the gates of righteousness, and I will go into them, and I will praise the Lord. This gate of the Lord into which the righteous shall enter, I will praise thee for thou hast heard me and art become my salvation. Verse 22, the stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Verse 24 says, this is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And, and uh, verse 25 says, save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Uh, if, if we were to keep reading down through this chapter, you would see many verses that apply to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, you notice it mentions this, this gate that is opened, the gate of righteousness through which the righteous can enter. And it's in that, that context as it talks about the, that, that gate that's opened and how God has become, the Lord has become salvation, that it says the stone which the builders refuse has become the head of the corner. Now, what it's talking about there is that when you're, you know, when you're working with, with stone, um, especially if you're not, you know, if you're not cutting the stone. A lot of times, you know, stonework today, they'll, they'll cut the stones. And a lot of stonework you see today isn't even really, it's, it's like cultured stone. But when they would work with stone back here, you would have to pick the stones pretty carefully what you were going to put where, right? And some stones just wouldn't fit anywhere, and so the builders would just throw it out. It wasn't, it wasn't good. They would say it wasn't good, or they, might, or they might sense a weakness in the stone, a crack in it, or something like that. Uh, but here it's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, and the builders he's referring to are the, the same Pharisees, high priests, leaders that, that they're standing before, Sadducees, that should have been leading the people of Israel but he says the stone that they rejected, the stone that they said wasn't going to fit anywhere, that they had to throw out, that's become the head of the corner. Now, the head of the corner is, is the most important stone in the building. And so he's referring there to Christ um, as being, again, that stone that the builders rejected, but it's been made the head of the corner. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2. You can leave Psalm 118. Uh, go to 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter quotes this passage in quite a few different places, and it's, and it's quoted many times in the New Testament. Um, if, you, if you look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6, it says, Wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Sion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Now that's another, another uh, Scripture that he's, that he's quoting from there in Isaiah. But verse 7, notice he says, Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. 
But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. And, and so you see, Peter quotes some of these various verses, and he gives some application of it. He quotes the verse about the precious stone, the chief cornerstone that's elect and precious, and he says that's for you believers, that's what he is. All right. But then when he, when he refers to the verse we're talking about, he says, to them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And so the application of that verse is for somebody who's disobedient, somebody who's rejected Christ, they're like those builders that have, that have disallowed that stone, but it's been made the head of the corner. God has taken the stone that the builders disallowed, and he's made it the most important stone in the whole building. And you know, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he's referred to as the rock or, or the stone, that's used in two different ways, all right? He's, he's referred to as the rock many times as, as something, as, a, as like a refuge, a, a defense. But, you know, the scripture talks about Christ as the rock and talks about him as the stumbling stone. And the stumbling stone, certainly the, the unbelievers have stumbled at the, the stumbling stone, but believers also it describes as stumbling at the stumbling stone. It, it describes in Scripture as Christ being that, that stumbling stone, and it says that whoever, whoever uh, falls on that stone shall be broken, talking about, about the believer, actually, uh, being broken uh, in the same way that you have to you know, overcome that, that human pride and those kinds of things in order to... to have faith and and receive the free gift of eternal life. The believer is broken at that stone, but it says, on whomsoever it shall fall, it'll grind them to powder. If you fall at the stone, you're you're broken, but if the stone falls on you, you're ground to powder. And that's this, this verse about him being made the head of the corner, there's a warning there to the unbeliever. There's a warning there that, that you've messed up. That thing you rejected has become the most important thing. It's become the chief thing. And that's why Peter quotes it back here in, in Acts chapter 4. Uh, so he's warning those, those elders. Now they are, again, they're the builders. And Israel is often described, as is the body of Christ, but Israel is often described as, as being a building. And here were the, the workmen, the men supposed to be doing the work, and they threw out the most important stone in the, in the whole the whole place. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 12, then, you see, this is really the the conclusion, then, of Peter's message, when he says, in verse verse 12, let me read verse 11 again, says, this is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. You see, once Jesus Christ came into the world, the, you know, there was certainly a time before, before, uh, Christ when people who believed, you know, they believed, uh, on the Lord. They believed on the things he had said in, in the Old Testament. But once Jesus Christ comes into the world, the, the issue that separates between believer and unbeliever is what do you believe about, about Jesus? What do you believe about Jesus Christ? All right. And, and uh, here he says there's no salvation in any other. There's no salvation in the high priest. There's no salvation in these, these uh, Sadducees. There's no salvation in these rulers. Um, and you see again how he emphasizes the name, the name of Christ. 
uh, that's what you see emphasized all throughout here is that name. And again, to do something in the name of of somebody is to have power and, and authority from them. And here, Peter says there's no other name, and by implication he's saying there's no other power, no other authority that can, can provide salvation. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And that name of the Lord Jesus Christ is, is glorified uh, in, the, in the New Testament. You, you have, go over to um, Philippians chapter 2. After describing the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ, after describing his humility and how he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, verse 9 of Philippians chapter 2 says, Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth, and things under the earth that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, what Peter is doing, and again, it, it, you know, it doesn't go into great detail here, but what Peter is doing in talking about the, the, the stone being made the head of the corner, uh, in saying that there's no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved, really, as he stands before these men of authority, he is calling on them to subject themselves to the, to the greatest authority. You see, to this one and, and this name that has been exalted above every name, this name that eventually every knee is going to bow to, every tongue is going to confess one way or another. All right, now to the believer, we can bow our knee uh, right now. We, our tongue can confess to that name right now. To the unbeliever, they as well are, gonna, are going to bow the knee and, and confess that Jesus is Lord, but they're going to do it out of compulsion. Okay, and uh, the you know the believer willingly recognizes that authority. Where where the unbeliever again the unbeliever in judgment is going to be compelled to bow the knee and and confess uh, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And you know it's it's really a it's really a you could say an empowering thing. To recognize, first of all, recognize who Christ is and recognize that authority that he has. But then recognize that we, like Peter, we can, we can operate in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can glorify the Father like Peter is doing there. Now, you know, I don't know what was going through Peter's mind as he stood there. I don't know if he had doubts and, and fears and, and that kind of thing. I suspect he probably had some degree of that. And yet, there he could, he could stand there before those men, knowing the authority he was operating under, knowing that he was operating under a greater authority, and he could even accuse them of crucifying the Lord. Uh, you know that the, the believer in the world, and, and I've said this before, you know, oftentimes believers, and, and when you, when you, you know, you hear in the news about these different culture war type stories and, and things about, you know, how Christians are fighting this issue and fighting that issue, a lot of times Christians have become the, the beggars in the world. You know, and they're always begging somebody to, to give them something, begging the government to give them something, begging somebody to give them something. You don't need to beg from anybody. You've got, you've got authority from the Lord Jesus Christ to stand and, and proclaim the word of God. And whether you do that before the kinds of, of, 
authoritative men that Peter's standing before there, or whether it be your, your family and friends or, or whoever it is, speak the word of God with authority. Stand there not in your own, not in your own authority. That's why you don't, have to, you don't have to worry about, you know, whether you're going to mess up or something like that. Stick close to the word of God and, and, you know, quote that scripture and point out the scripture and let God work through that. Uh, so often, we, you know, we think, we think that it's, you know, it's about, it's about us, it's about what, you know, what we can do, our, our power, that kind of thing, and we don't, we don't really unleash the real power, which is in God's Word. Uh, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to argue uh, an unbeliever into believing the Word of God, but rather let the Word of God do its work, all right? I, I think it was, I think it was uh, Spurgeon that said that, you know, if you have a, if you have a lion in a cage, you don't have to defend the lion. All you have to do is let it out of its cage. It'll defend itself. And the Word of God is a lot like that. And a lot of times we keep the Word of God bound up in its, in its cage. Um, and we aren't, you know, we aren't out uh, telling people about it, pro- proclaiming God's Word. Or we're, try- again, trying to, you know, trying to argue people into, into believing or that kind of thing. But realize where the power is. And you have... The you know the greatest source of spiritual power available to you. It's not it's not the uh, you know the, the the spirituality section of the bookstore. Um, it's the Word of God, and and uh, understanding that authority that we have, and and understanding like Peter did, where he could stand before some of the highest men in his nation and speak truth to them. That's the power that God gives to us. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.